0: It's a Q's conversation with 1995 Syracuse University grad Brian Gawertz, who's written a book about his time as the head writer for World Wrestling Entertainment. The books called There's Just One Problem, True Tales from the former one time,
1: seventh most powerful person in WWE. My job was to basically, you know, have a conversation with talent and give them the, you know, the, as they say, the 50,000 foot perspective in terms of like, okay, here's on the surface, like this is what we're doing. Here's where we're going with it. Here's what we hope to achieve with it. Here's the hopefully the payoff to it. Um, and sometimes people will be like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I guess I get to understand that. There's a lot of money to be made if we do that. Sometimes it's like, yeah, I hear what you're saying. That still doesn't work for me at all, like at all.
0: We're gonna get some behind the scenes stories from Brian. Hear about how he earned the trust of Dwayne the Rock Johnson and how that trust led to Brian's initial job as a WWE writer and his current role as Senior Vice President of Development for Johnson's company Seven Bucks Productions, where, among other things, Brian is the executive producer of the NBC show Young Rock. I'm Chris Villardi, Director of Digital Engagement and Communications at the Office of Alumni Engagement, and just like today's guest, I'm a 1995 Syracuse grad. In fact, as you're going to hear, I've known Brian since our first week as freshmen living on the eighth floor of Day Hall. What a floor, by the way, as you can be sure we'll talk about. If you're a wrestling fan, there is a lot
1: here for you. If you're not a wrestling fan, there's still a lot here for you. When I was at WWE, in the back of my mind, I always had a, uh, like a lingering like desire to like, maybe this could be converted into a television show one day. Um, you know, the proverbial Larry Sanders of wrestling type show. Um, and at one point, you know, we at Seven Bucks, the production company, Dwayne Johnson, Danny Garcia's production company that, that i worked for, um, sold a pilot to Fox. Um, and we teamed with Adam McKay and Will Ferrell. It was like really, really exciting. And then, you know, for whatever reason, um, the pilot didn't go. So, you know, that's not terribly uncommon, but it's still not you know, uh, pleasing to hear when it happens. Um, so it's like, oh, wow. Is, is like all these stories now are just going to be, you know, locked away in terms of like, you know, if, if it's going to be the people that I actually physically talk to and interact with, that's going to be like 17 people are going to hear these stories for the rest of my life. I talk to that few people. So that's when I'm like, well, what, what is there? Like, like not only, um, a way to tell these stories um, beyond like podcasts and conversations and stuff. Um, but also, you know, the, the thing that I found in the pilot process was just how much, you know, what comes in your head ultimately changes due to notes, due to um, network notes. And, and, you know, I wasn't even writing it. There was another writer writing it that I was working with. And by the time it came out, it, it it bore little resemblance to you know the experiences that I had in my head. It was kind of homogenized, changed a little bit. So that was like in the back of my head, like, hey, if I could like if I actually wrote a book, then it's just the pure thought to paper, um, and there's no interference, and there's no like you know misinterpretation or anything. It is purely from me, uh, and that sounded good, especially after the pilot experience. You know, it's like. Why not? This is this is the most purest form of being able to relay these stories. Purely for you, but obviously
0: these stories involve people who wrestling fans and those who aren't even wrestling fans are very familiar with. So how did how did the response go to that and how did you kind of handle that idea that well, you know, yeah, these stories are mine because I lived them, but these stories also involve kind of these these other folks. How did you, you balance
1: that? That's a good question. You know, in, in some respects, I didn't feel I needed to, you know, get permission to tell stories because I have a good relationship with almost everybody I'm writing about, almost everybody I'm writing about. Um, and I also know tonally, this isn't gonna be like a, like a, I wouldn't say the majority of wrestling books, but a good number of wrestling books. Are kind of as they say in the wrestling business, like burials, like one person completely burying either a group of people, individual people. Um, you know, there's a little taste of bitterness that goes with it. I didn't really have that kind of experience, so I just figured there's some people that I did buzz ahead of time um, to let them know um, that 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 a book was coming out, and some people I even asked. Um, Well, actually, with Syracuse alumni, uh, Sean Coulthard, who goes by Michael Cole, uh, the most longest tenured broadcaster in WWE. There was this story that was just hilarious, like, you know, and I write about in the book. Um, But essentially, this was when before Vince McMahon bought his uh, big charter plane and we were on a little plane in which I don't know what insane person came up with this idea. I guess it was for people traveling solo, but there was no bathroom on the plane. But one of the captain seats, you know, one of the four front seats converts to a toilet if you take the top of the seat off and there's a toilet, which might be great if you're a millionaire flying by yourself. But if you're on a plane with like eight people, um, you know, it's not the best way to go. And yeah, I remember like this is really super early in my tenure there. Like Cole just kept asking me, Brian, ask the pilot when we're going to land. I have to pee there's no worse feeling in the world than having to pee, which is not something you say with, you know, people have taken wrestling bumps and ultimately he couldn't hold it. And as we were landing, he made a beeline to the chair and the McMahons dove out of the way and he sat down and did his bit. And I'm like, all right, that story is hilarious, especially when told in full, but I'd feel bad, you know, cause I like my Cole's a friend and I like him. I, I got to ask his permission ahead of time. So I'm like, all right, how do I put this? And, you know, I like hem and hawed. And then I just texted him and he's like, yeah, dude, it happened. I don't care. Go ahead and tell it. LOL. <laughs> there That's just you like, go. What kind of guy he is, you know, it's like, yeah, he doesn't care. He, there's nothing, nothing that could embarrass Cole after, you know, everything he's gone through at WWE. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I did, you know, some people I sent chapters ahead of time, not on, not so much to make sure I wasn't offending, but just to hey, this, this is how it happened, right? (laughs) This is how I remember it. Yeah. You know, and they gave notes back and everything. But I haven't heard anyone, you know, especially, you know, the book's been out now for um, three, three and a half weeks or whatever it is. Uh, And I haven't gotten any like, oh, boy, this person's really upset that you wrote about this, Um, which is either a combination of them having not read it, (laughs) or more likely I'd like to think the most likely is them being like, Oh yeah, that's a fun story. Go for it. I think it's good. <laughs> these are, these are
0: big people. You don't necessarily want to make them, you know, angry at you. I would imagine. That's, that's true. Not a great idea. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in terms of, of your experience at WWE and, and really, you know, kind of telling these stories and, and, and building these characters and, and you know, how did, did you ever run into situations where, you know, you've got kind of this story that that this 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 narrative, this character where the character, him or herself says, you know what, I, I really don't want to I don't want to go there and 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 be that that guy or, or, or that person. And, and if if that how, how do you deal with that kind of thing, because it's not like you've also done this, it's not like writing a sitcom you know, it's a kind of a different,
1: a different type of show. Yeah. Well, that happened pretty much every week, Um, (laughs) you know, and it's, and you're right. It is, it is different, you know, Roddy Piper, who was my favorite growing up and, you know, I wrote about and dedicated, you know, the book to him and my, my dad, Um, you know, there was this show called legends house that WWE did a while back that basically had all these legends, you know, in a reality show type thing. It was one of their early, you know, WWE network concepts. And, you know, it, it was the, you know, a crazy wacky reality show where they brought Gary Busey in of all people to kind of talk to them and teach them medi- meditation and everything. Um, and and Busey was basically trying to say like, you know, you're just playing a character. You don't have to, uh, you know, worry about You know, you don't have to blend the two. And Roddy, you know, very sagely said like, well, here's the difference between you and me, Gary Busey. When you go on the street, people go, that's Gary Busey. They don't say that's, I think the character's name was Joshua or something like that from Lethal Weapon or something. When I go on the street, they don't say there goes Roderick Toombs. There's Rowdy Roddy Piper. You know, like the people are, you know, even when they're, outside the ring they're still basically that person and it gets even blurred even further when you know you have a guy like John Cena or Bret Hart or the McMahons who that is their real name and that is their character they play and it's kind of like the same thing it cuts really really deeper in the world of wrestling because it's not like yes there's some like clear dichotomy like Glenn Jacobs Uh, could run for mayor of Knoxville uh, and win and you know it's clearly not Kane the devil's favorite demon you know who we played but a great deal of characters are themselves in in some way or you know with the volume turned up to 11 as they like to say right right. Um, so there is some extra sensitivity to that and especially when you know I remember there was you know there's so many lines that blurred there was you know these wrestlers very, very successful ones, which I'm sure you've heard of and the audience have heard of, Edge, Lita, Matt Hardy. There was a whole like, you know, real life kind of love triangle going on with three of them. You know, this is years, decades ago. Um, and, the, you know, Vince and everyone, all of us were like, wow, well, if they could do business with each other, that would make a real hot television angle if we incorporated the real life elements into uh, the storyline. Um, and yeah, there's that, I don't think that was an easy sell. Um, there were, there were plenty of times where it's like, yeah, I'm not really comfortable doing that. And ultimately, you know, you have to have, you know, my job was to basically, you know, have a conversation with talent and give them the, you know, the, as they say, the 50,000 foot perspective in terms of like, okay, here's on the surface, like, this is what we're doing. Here's where we're going with it. Here's what we hope to achieve with it. Here's the, hopefully, the payoff to it. Um, and sometimes people will be like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I guess I could understand that. There's a lot of money to be made if we do that. Um, <laughs> and then sometimes it's like, yeah, I hear what you're saying. That still doesn't work for me at all, like at all. <laughs> you know, and at that point, you know, essentially, I would then have to have a conversation with Vince McMahon, Uh, And Vince would ultimately, you know, bring the uh, talent in and have the conversation with them. Uh, And either they come out of that room uh, and Vince says, hey, we're changing this, or they come out of that room with Vince doing his old Jedi mind trick thing. uh, They go, yeah, no, that really does work now. (laughs) Happened more often than
0: not. That's what it's all about is, is kind of getting that buy-in. And you talked about. You know the relationships, and you said you know you've you've got good relationships with with most of them, and that's a it's an important thing. And there's so much trust that must go into that process.
1: Yeah, that's 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 the biggest thing a WWE writer can achieve. Is it's easy to get you know what we like to call cheap heat or cheap pops. Um, someone goes to the on center and says it's great to be here in Syracuse. Yay! Okay, great. Or they go. God, your football team hasn't been in a bowl game since I was seven years old. Boo. Okay, that's that's easy. There's creative ways to do it, which could sometimes be brilliant. But that's easy. Right. What really is, you know the, you know the challenge for for all writers is to you know get gain the trust of wrestlers, um, especially because as you pointed out before, um, you know a lot of wrestlers have the uh, mindset of well, this person doesn't look like they could beat up a fourth grader. How is this person going to tell me how, you know, I'm supposed to kick somebody's ass? Um, <laughs> there's no, like, what? And, you know, my my instinct, my my, my reflex to that was always, you know, in, in somewhere in the area of like, well, I don't think Michael Crichton was chasing down dinosaurs, you know, but he somehow wrote Jurassic Park and yeah. sequels to it. <laughs> Like, if you're good, you're good. So like, let's, and if you're not, you're not. So like, give us a chance and let's try to work together. Fair. Obviously
0: trust that you built the relationship you built with, with Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, um, has, has led to, to where you are now. Um, Talk about, about that process and, and getting from, you know, writer WWE to, to kind of being a right hand man to some degree to this, in this production company.
1: Yeah, well look, I mean, and I write about it obviously, um, you know, in the book and everything, but my entry into WWE was, you know, basically Dwayne was essential in that. Um, you know, and again, it's a whole it's a, it's a, it's actually also a Syracuse related um entry, I guess. Which, which we love. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's what we're here to talk about, really. Uh, well, I mean, the, the short version of it is, um, you know, at, at Syracuse, and, and we graduated, um, as you know, as we, for, I'm sure everyone knows, um, <laughs> you know, the same year, we were in the same freshman uh, dorm, uh, sure. day eight. Day um, eight. Um, and, you know, I had Professor Thompson, Professor Robert Thompson, Who's
0: still who's still here?
1: Uh, yeah and and I actually had him freshman year. most other freshmen didn't have him freshman year because I had already taken com 107 uh, in the Syracuse pre-college program uh, in between junior and senior year of high school. So um, you know I was I, we had a I mean just I don't know if you were you, I don't know if you remember this or if you, we, there was like a class with a professor who didn't get tenure is what I had heard. And then, after he didn't get tenure, he started videotaping his lectures in as opposed to being there in person. And nobody was paying attention. Uh, it was a complete disaster. And then he was, I guess, let go. And then Professor Thompson came in and took over the class. Like that was his introduction to that. Um, and he's talking about, you know, giving us all his, all the great, all the Thompson greatest hits, you know, with Hill Street Blues and all, all these type of things. Um, and everyone like just loved this class. And he would, teach, um, over the summers at Cornell. Uh, and that's where my sister took a class with him and she really had a great time. And that's the reason why she went into television and has three daytime Emmys. Um, you know, all out of taking professor Thompson's class and, you know, the roundabout way of of all this is her taking Thompson's class one led her to want to get to television, which led her getting a PA job at MTV, which led to her calling me when MTV needed a writer for a series of WWF specials in '99, um, and me getting hired, and me meeting Dwayne, uh, you know, right then and there, in New Jersey, we were shooting these vine- uh, this show for at the Meadowlands. They had a live event there, house show as they call it back then. Um, and Dwayne's attitude, getting way back to the actual question you asked. <laughs> uh, was is always then as it is now, which is like I don't really know you um, from a hole in the wall, but hey, maybe, maybe you're great. Maybe you suck. I don't know, but I'll give you that chance because what do I have to lose? I'll still be the rock after all. <laughs> uh, and if you could help me, great, and if you can't, I'll you know everything will be fine. So that was kind of like the uh, launching point where he liked what I had. He recommended me to wWE. I interviewed with WWE. Um, you know, through a long series of events, I ultimately got hired by WWE, uh, and we just always had a great rapport, and always, you know, worked together on stuff, and we couldn't be, obviously, I mean, I don't need to say this, um, more opposite. (laughs) Um, In fact, I, and I'm sure you as well, Chris, uh, I didn't realize this at the time, but I've told Dwayne on many occasions, um, it's like freshman year, I booed the hell out of you I mean, <laughs> at the Carrier Dome. We didn't like Miami. I mean, that, no. there's no there's no hiding
0: that. We got stopped short at the three-yard line. Did. That was a painful, painful,
1: painful game. We're so close. And then they started taunting the fans, and, and he was amongst them. You know, our freshman year was his sophomore year, yeah. but really his freshman year because he was hurt his freshman year. Um, and, yeah, we, I'm sure we booed number 54 along with everyone else, in, in white, green and orange, uh, that day. Yep. But, um, you know, we laugh about that now, but yeah, that, that trust and that, you know, um, relationship, uh, you know, it went beyond just WWE, you know, when he was in Hollywood, um, you know, there was a couple of times that he hosted an award show and he brought me in to be a writer on that. I got permission from WWE to like take a week off to do that. Um, you know, and he was going on The Tonight Show. This is really early. Like now he doesn't need this at all, but like super 2000, 2001 or whatever it was, you know, like, hey, what's a funny story I could tell? Like, well, like, you know, and obviously th- it was all him, but, you know, just as a sounding board, you know, to just bounce ideas off the, of. The
0: trust though, I mean, that, that highlights the trust that he trusted your judgment, your instinct, your ability to, to be a storyteller, your ability
1: to find humor, those kinds of things. And that's that's big, that's important. Oh, totally, totally. And then ultimately, you know, when he had him and Danny Garcia, his um, business partner, um, ex-wife, co-founder of Seven Bucks, started uh, their own production company, um, he gave me the call and said, you know, whenever, you know, you're ready to leave WWE, um, we'd love to have you here. And that, you know, in 2015, um, you know, I basically left WWE full-time. Um, cause I had been kind of for three years working part-time at seven bucks, part-time at WWE, starting at the end of 2012. And in 2015, it was, you know, when you're ready, I'm ready. And I'm like, Oh, I'm ready. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm going to have a book to write. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you, one of the things that's, that's interesting,
0: I think about you going, getting into WWE is that you came in as a fan. I mean, you, right. I mean, you, you yeah. were a fan before you were an employee.
1: What's, what's funny is, you know, we, we, when we went and I'll, 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 out us here as far as our age, you know, so our freshman year was um, fall of 91. Yeah. Which is insane. It that sounds like it doesn't seem like it's that long ago, but it it's is possible to... long ago. Yeah. Like, like I can't even compartmentalize in my head how long ago that is. Anyways, WWE was at a creative low point. Um, pretty much in, in 91. It was like it, in the 80s was the high with the rock and wrestling connection and WrestleMania and Mr. T, Hulk Hogan, Cindy Lauper, Roddy Piper, all of that. Um, WrestleMania 3, you know, two years later, like in 87, I think it was, um, Hogan versus Andre the Giant and Savage versus Steamboat. By the time freshman year hit, it was really at a low. In fact, I had even I wouldn't say completely stopped watching it, but I was turned off by it. This was during like, like they had Sardin Slaughter turn on America to get cheap heat and and side with Iraq during the Gulf War. I thought that was like in poor taste. I was tired of Hogan, Roddy had retired. Um, And it was our friend, uh, Mike Connor, who was, you know, who lived, you know, on day eight with all of us, like, who knows? If I was on day seven, Maybe <laughs> <laughs> day eight was a was a, a hotbed of talent. I, I must oh say. yeah, it was magical. Um, but he was always a huge WWF fan, and he got me kind of back into it. And we all started, you know, we started going to the live events. We started putting on Raw in you know '93. Two years later, when that started, yeah. um, watching the pay-per-views in somebody's room, um, going to the War Memorial now on Center, I think um and yeah that really like got me back into it he kind of uh took the reins on that and yeah that was kind of like then the attitude era hit which was like the second big peak of wrestling in the you know late 90s um and at that point like I had already been a fan you know you know since the 80s anyway but just when I was like about to get out Freshman year, Syracuse got me back in. back in, and yeah, that really, you know, never really left ever since then. Um,
0: as an aside, on day eight, was was batting stance guy on our floor too? Yeah, Gar Rynes. He Gar, was. Yeah. He used to do his shtick. I remember. Yeah, yeah. I remember <laughs> during the uh, the the World Series, the the, the uh, Pirates and Braves uh, NLCS that year, and him doing the. You
1: know, I, I Sid. Sid Bream was he I think I think yeah. So. yeah oh no I mean he would just yeah we'd podcast. be at some lounge or whatever he'd yeah. walk hey Brian who's this I'm like well kind of looks like Lenny Dykstra you're right <laughs> you know and, and the next thing you know he's on Letterman he's like you know
0: another another podcast waiting to happen I think we should maybe a day oh, Eight yeah. reunion podcast
1: Day hey, I Eight mean, reunion podcast yeah Gar <laughs> it was like I don't know he, he whenever I watch the boys on Amazon kind of reminds me of gar a little bit because it's like i don't know like what the most useless superpower would be um if you were a superhero but i would say the ability to emulate every batting stance of every baseball player that ever existed is one of those like cool but somewhat <laughs> it's it's a it's definitely
0: yeah. a niche kind of uh Thing, but man, he's he's made a he's made a life out of that. But but we digress. (laughs) We digress. Um, I do want to ask though, coming into that job, having knowing the history, having been a fan, did that kind of color your approach? Did it help you? Did it hinder you? Did you kind of were you did you feel some things that you were like, I got to get past this to be to be a writer to to change the narrative or to, to drive something?
1: No, it definitely helped. I think because you have to have that base knowledge of what WWE is, who these characters are. Um, You know, your your show like, you know, Raw started in 1993, obviously WWE and WWF before that was around, you know, with interchangeable characters. I I mean, characters coming and going, some staying, Um, but you really, it's so important to have at least some sort of functional knowledge of what WWE is and what wrestling is. And that definitely helped me. And the other thing that helped me was, you know, I had written on three sitcoms uh, and, and those MTV shows before coming uh, to WWE. So it wasn't like, and I didn't, was like, I wouldn't say it was like working with gigantic, you know, n- nothing like The Rock, you know, working with movie stars and stuff like that. But you're on a set and you know how, you know, certain professionalism that's expected. And you're not supposed to fanboy out and, you know, geek out and be like, oh, my God, it's you know, that, that's not what they're looking for. They want professionalism. Um, so, like, I think that combination of having worked on several shows uh, and even before that, being a production assistant on shows, you know, again, working in Hollywood with with actors, actresses, directors, writers, um, and just knowing like there's a certain expectation in terms of how you're supposed to behave um, and not just completely, you know, freak out over famous people like that, plus the working knowledge of wrestling definitely, definitely helped. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, it seems obvious, but there, there have been I've seen over my course of time at WWE, especially like the younger uh, like writer's assistants coming up who get sucked into the like, oh, my God, let's hang out after the show. Where are we going to party? Where are we going to get drink? You know, like so obsessed with that. That ultimately it that works against them because they're not focused on the job at hand. They're focused on becoming friends with talent, um, and that's not good. So yeah, having having knowledge of the product, a love of the product, passion for it, and you know also knowing how to conduct yourself, you know, on the job is is very important.
0: Yeah, no, it's the same thing in alumni engagement at Syracuse University. I mean, you know, I get to talk to pretty cool people, and I know I, I can't totally geek out about it. Yeah, you're restraining yourself very well now, Chris. I'm, I'm I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm doing a podcast <laughs> with Brian words. Yeah, Don I mean. McPherson was just in my office. We were talking about dropping our daughters off at college. Like, you know, I mean, that's pretty yeah. cool. But that I is. can't, I can't fanboy. So, so let's let's kind of go forward now. I mean, sitcoms and and obviously WWE and, and that kind of style of of writing and now. Um, executive producing for uh, back to sitcoms, um, but but where you know where are you interested in going with with Seven Bucks and and in, in your career and you know what what drives you now? What do you love most about about
1: the industry and, and what you're doing? Yeah, well, look, yeah, like you said, it's come kind of full circle because you know I started out wanting to do sitcoms based on the fact that my uncle was a showrunner and executive producer and writer on sitcoms. Um, I remember gathering everyone up on uh, in day eight because m- my uncle had written a Simpsons episode that had aired, I think, whatever it was, second, third season. Um, and yeah, that, that really now, um, I think that ices it because I remember the Simpsons was the hot new thing <laughs> when we were in freshman year in college. I mean, it wasn't like, like yeah. Robert Thompson, still still on. <laughs> yeah, still going and still beloved by millions. Um, and it was, by the way, that was like peak Simpsons years, 91, 92, 93, 94, like that, like during our tenure there. So, um, you know, to be able to go back, you know, now I'm I'm currently I'm, I'm on set for season three of Young Rock as an executive producer, um, myself and Dwayne and Hiram Garcia, the president of Seven Bucks, we wrote an episode last year. Which is really cool, um, you know. We but also to be able, you know, in terms of development, to to develop and sell and pitch all kinds of shows, um, both scripted and unscripted. We have a show on Disney Plus called Behind the Attraction, um, that is a very very cool show uh, about the you know the the secret origins and and stories behind all these great Disney attractions around the world. Um, we have a show coming out on Vice, Tales from the Territories that is uh, another wrestling related show that we teamed up with the creators of Dark Side of the Ring for that comes out October 4th. Uh, Young Rock is November 4th, season three. And then, uh, and yeah, there, there there's, you know, by the, uh, by this time next year, I think there'll be several other shows that we could officially talk about as well, but it's kind of cool to be able to take all genres, all, you know, formats, um, even we're even like working developing in the animation space you know it's like so cool to be able to just flex those you know creative muscles so to speak um and and pitch and develop and work with some truly truly talented and innovative people um and and sky's the limit basically yeah that's
0: exciting and I think that is one of the exciting things about entertainment now is that you know to to be successful you've kind of got to be able to be a a Swiss army knife in a lot of ways, right? And and be in a lot of places and and do a lot of things. But man, for someone who is a creative person and enjoys the process, there there can't be anything better.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's funny. You know, again, I always, I was tunnel vision on sitcom writer since third grade, basically. Um, And that's what, you know, I studied TRF at Syracuse and television radio film writing. Um, most of my friends were in TRF production. I was always on the writing side. It was, you know, when we all moved out, uh, to go to college, um, I mean, to go to college, after college, to go to LA, um, we all had, um, you know, that goal in mind and a lot of us did it, you know, like our friend John Beck, he's, uh, you know, very successful. He wasn't on day eight, but he is class of 95. No, we'll, we'll allow it. He wasn't on day (laughs) day eight, but that's true. Um, but yeah, and all the people that we used to, you know, gather and watch WWF pay-per-views uh, in college, you know, they're all like working in some form of entertainment, um, you know, from those of us who moved out to LA. So it's it's really cool to see. Um, but it was I never thought I'd be a wrestling writer, and I never thought I would, you know, furthermore be, a, you know, a creative development person. I didn't even know what that was. Um, but yeah, it, it takes, uh, like takes some interesting twists and turns, but it works out for the best as you know, too.
0: Yeah. Well, let's, you know, let's kind of end on, on that note, um, and, and kind of talk about being a part of that Syracuse community because you've dropped it in. And, and I think those of us who, who have lived it find ways that it's influenced our life. We've run into an alum. There's been some kind of connection somewhere. Um, but what does it mean to you to be to be part of this kind of larger orange family? Uh, it's it's great.
1: You know, I, I really you, when you're there yeah, as a student, you know, you're just just sucked up into the experience and and living it. And I don't really like, you know, of course, you'll see, you know, the alumni weekend and, and world's greatest dad Syracuse shirts and like all that kind of stuff. Um, but. You know, and then when you post-graduation, you're still kind of like truly, truly connected to it. Um, you know, we, uh, whether it was in LA, you know, unfortunately for us, you know, we know we graduated, I think one year too soon because uh, <laughs> the John Wallace led and team was the year after us. And so yeah. was the Macanab era. Um, but, you know, after that, you, you just meet so many people in, you know, for me in the entertainment business, um, we're working on an animated show right now with two writers. Both of them went to Syracuse. I didn't even know that at the time. Um, my (laughs) brother-in-law went to Syracuse four years, uh, after we were never at school at the same time, but you know, it's like, he's a Yankee fan. I'm a Mets fan. My sister's a Mets fan. Um, but it's the one thing, you know, that my niece, their daughter, their daughter, uh, it's like we could all agree on, you know, like uh, she'll be wearing all the Syracuse stuff. Um, but it's really cool. It's really cool to, you know, I live in New York. Um, we always gather, you know, during uh, college basketball season, you know, and, and go to events. Um, I got to go to the Lubin House more. Um, I haven't been there in a while, but it's just like, it's just really cool because. You know, there's this, this like, and I know you could say that about any college, I guess there's the shared experience, but there's, you just run into so many Syracuse people, both in, for me in the two places that I've lived, New York and Los Angeles sure. in my lifetime, you know, they're everywhere. And it's always such a great, you know, uh, connective tissue and force. And I got to go back. I've talked to Professor Thompson about coming back. I've been back literally once um, since I graduated in 95. And that was at a uh, 2003 UU TV or Hill TV or Citrus TV, whatever the student-run TV station is currently called. It is Citrus now. Yeah. Okay, Citrus. Um, yeah, I went back in 2003. All of a sudden, you look up, and that's 20 years ago. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be I'll be coming back soon because um, it's been far far too long, and it's like stepping in a time
0: machine. One of the things that alumni say when they come back, particularly those who haven't been back for a while, is there's something so familiar about coming back that you're instantly kind of home as it were, but also it's it's changed so much. There's so much new. There are so many new buildings and just new new looks and new scenes. Um, it's pretty special um, and I- well, I
1: forgot, I, did we talk about, is, is there still like the 5,000 steps to get up to Mount Olympus?
0: a uh, day I think it's 123 but yes they're they they are still there and, and the are still, they're still they still kind of complain about them
1: yeah I remember like I'm like one day I'll be back and there'll be a lift or a teleportation device or some kind of makeshift elevator of some kind um, but yeah that's like like oh why, why was I in such better shape in college probably because I was doing that climb for two straight
0: years well appreciate your time uh and and the walk down memory lane but also the you know the insight into uh into what you're doing now it's um it's it's fun
1: these conversations are fun yeah totally it's great um where i don't want to jinx anything we're undefeated in football as of this recording um you know things are looking up so hopefully uh hopefully they continue and uh i'll see you and 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 The campus soon because I'm definitely, uh, you know, I'd love to come back. All right, that was fun. Sorry if we got off track a little bit, but you know,
0: that's what happens when Syracuse alumni start talking about Syracuse things. If you are interested in Brian's book, there's a link in the description to this episode. I'm Chris Bellardi. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't yet, please make sure you subscribe. I'll talk to you next time on the Cuse
1: Conversations Podcast. Go Orange!